Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, we're back from our vacation break. Welcome back to Hire the Smile, all things related to human resources in the veterinary profession. I'm Mike Pownell, and as always, I am joined by Katie Arline. Katie, how are you? I'm wonderful, Mike. How are you? Good. It's a Friday afternoon. It's lovely. The weekend's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Just in case anyone was worried about the weather update here. Yeah, because we haven't <laughs> talked about the weather for about a month. It's... <laughs> Katie, we're going to talk about something interesting. I think it's interesting. and I don't think we've really talked about it before. So I'm going to let you do the introduction of it. Yeah. So when we were kind of coming up with an idea for this week's episode, looking back at our list of things that we've covered, our extensive list, uh, we realized that we hadn't really spoken about mentoring before. Talking to a practice that I'm working with right now, there was some confusion about what a mentor is, uh, and I think what a mentor isn't, and the benefit, there was some dubiousness about the benefits of putting together a mentorship program. So I thought it'd be a great idea to chat about mentors this week the pros and there aren't really any cons unless they're dubious mentors totally unless they've got nefarious type yeah. motives but yeah it's something we haven't talked about but i think something that's really crucial in veterinary medicine i think in any medical type role but particularly in veterinary medicine so i'm excited to talk about a new topic this week yeah so why don't you tell us let's just define i was like to start the discussion is like what is a mentor what is a mentorship program yeah. So if you kind of nuts and bolts it, I'd say a mentor relationship could be defined as a professional relationship, obviously, between two people who are committed to improving their professional environment and skills. Generally, you you have, uh, we'll talk more about specifics of who is a mentor uh, as we roll on here, but generally you've got somebody who's more experienced, uh, who is interested in passing things on, uh, and then you have somebody who's less experienced come in. A classic example is a more experienced veterinarian mentoring uh, somebody who's just come into the profession after vet school. And while they might have the medical stuff at least somewhat handled or wrapped around their brain, their brain wrapped around it, they might have never really had exposure to what it's like to work in a clinic and to have to deal with with clients and how to navigate all of that. So that uh, mentor relationship, I think, is special where it's not a management relationship. Like it's not like, you know, did you do your job? But it's more, how did that go? Do you have questions about something? How do you handle a client when they're upset? The thing too, is that the mentor gets some, something out of this as well as the mentee. And I don't want to blab on about our entire podcast content before we get there. But uh, I think that's pretty much it. Do you have anything to add, Mike? We've been talking about it and the articles we have talk about it in the role of the veterinarian or 
a lot of articles we've taken from is the human field, but it's not just the veterinarians. Like mm-hmm. I would say it with technicians, honestly, it's anybody that comes into an organization. They a mentorship's a good idea for all the reasons you've listed. Yeah. Practice manager, especially as we tend to promote from within for a practice manager, you could have somebody who has zero experience at management. So that would be somebody who's ripe for mentorship. So we've talked about really what it is, but what isn't it? Like what is not a mentor? Yeah. So for sure, like I, I hinted at just a minute ago here, it's not like a directed manager employee type relationship. The mentor isn't even necessarily in the same practice. It's just somebody who's appropriate for that role. The mentor isn't a therapist. They're there to listen without judgment and put on their emotional intelligence hat and their their effective listening hat. But they're not there to rehash the past and help you understand why you did the things you did 20 years ago or whatever. A big one too is, uh, and sometimes this is something that can be difficult to wrap one's head around, is that a mentor is not there to solve problems for the, the mentee. They're not there to take away roadblocks, but they're there to help the mentee or the person being mentored figure out how to navigate challenges on their own. They can make suggestions, but ultimately it's up to the mentee to to make the decision and to figure out the path forward. I mean, to my mind, it's obvious, but I know there are some people. So when I look at what younger vets want, they Mm -hmm. want mentorship. Yeah. They come out of school depending on the school, depending on their species, they may not be medically prepared. They may not be emotionally prepared. They may not understand a job. And we'll get into that in a little bit. It's valuable. So, I mean, any insights on what makes it so valuable? And I have some personal and some uh, research as well, too, I can share. I can imagine coming into practice out of vet school, whether you have an internship or not, be so overwhelming. So, It's a way that you can put together something that's structured for that new employer, for that new veterinarian or whatever the position is, and be able to tackle challenges in a positive and a practical way. It's focused on finding solutions as opposed to just sort of venting or just sort of getting things off your back and that's it. It's a great sounding board. That's kind of how I look at it is it's like a a sounding board or like a squash match or something like that where you're sort of batting the ball back and forth and you might be blue skying to use a term that I hate, you know, you're just sort of thinking of like, what are some possible pathways forward? And I think the mentor role is to really reflect and definitely they have experience so they can draw on their experience, but really help the the mentee figure out how to problem solve on their own. Yeah. There's an interesting article from Harvard Business Review. Of course, we'll have the links as we mm-hmm. always do, but they sort of say there's three key ways that a mentor could be there. One is the coach. Mm-hmm. The other is a sponsor. And the third is a connector. And so the coach is the obvious one is like, how do you improve a skill? Yeah. Uh, how do you do a different medical procedure? I think that's very obvious because I said, particularly because when you're in school, your exposure to clinical cases, it's really, uh, it could be the time of year dependent. It could be mm-hmm. where you've done externships. So there may be some gaps. We all hear the story of um, of veterinarians, practice owners going, wow, we have a new associate and they're taking an hour to do a dog neuter. Like what's going on there? They mm-hmm. need a mentor. Somebody needs to be in there showing them how you can really do it well, but much more quickly. The second is the sponsor. And so that is the one, the mentor, and that's where it's a great relationship. It helps them, you know, promote them for awards or positions, uh, just to, to raise their stature within an organization. 
And, and that's one. And then the third is basically is the connector who knows people who can pair people mm-hmm. with each other because somebody may come to you as a mentor, as a coach, for example, on a particular procedure, but they want to increase the scope of their clinical practice. And maybe they're getting an area where you as the mentor don't have necessarily the skill set to really do a great job. So, hey, I'm going to connect them. Mm-hmm. Or somebody is like, hey, I want to submit a paper. You as a mentor are like, hey, boy, I have no experience in that whatsoever, but I do know somebody and I'm going to connect you to them. So I like that definition of, of a mentor. Mm-hmm. When I was thinking about this presentation and when you do these business management sessions or leadership sessions, they always ask, who in your personal life would be a great leader? And then I sort of said to myself, hey, who in my life have you considered to be a great mentor? And prior to getting into vet school and actually in vet school and in my first couple of years outside of vet school, I didn't really have a great mentor. And in hindsight, I realized that that was such a disadvantage for me because I had some coaches, those that helped me do better procedures, for Mm -hmm. sure. uh, And that was invaluable. There are things that I do to this day that you remember when Dr. So-and-so taught you that, even as a student. But in terms of how to run a business, so let's talk about a practice manager, practice owner, or a leader. I didn't have that until much later on, and then I developed it. But I remember the first few years of the practice, and longtime listeners of this podcast will know, I was an a-hole as a leader manager. And all I was doing was mimicking behaviors I had seen in other people who had run quote unquote successful businesses. And you're like, well, I guess that's the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. In hindsight, if I had somebody, a mentor, when we started our practice and started having employees that sort of said, Mike, this is how you should be a business leader. And this is how you should behave towards people. Boy, I would have avoided a lot of angst and aggravation and, and trauma to certain people. So tears, tears, tears. <laughs> That's why I want to make sure that people know that a mentor is not just one thing. It's not one dimensional. Mm-hmm. And you may need to have several mentors because you could be a veterinarian and then all of a sudden, hey, you're becoming practice owner or your partner or you have a different role and maybe you're responsible for an externship program at your practice. That's that's a different skill set than being a really good surgeon. So reach out for the different people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to just sort of switch to is who should be a mentor. And oh boy, that's a really wide open because anybody could be a mentor if you're trying to fill those one of those three positions. Mm-hmm. I think really, regardless of who it is and skill set is, I think the number one prerequisite for both the mentor, but we'll talk a bit about what it takes to be a mentee later, but for the mentor is, is the commitment to be candid and to be upfront and to tell it like it is, not to be rude or to be brutal, but you have to have candor. People are coming to you, uh, a mentee is coming to you because they want to hear the truth and you've got to be able to say it. Mm -hmm. You also have to be committed. I think that is a key thing. And I think the number one trait in that is that a mentor is someone who really wants you as a mentee to succeed. They want you to move beyond what they can. So I think there's a little bit of ego has to be suppressed in it and that you want this to be a partnership, but you as a mentor, you want to see somebody else flourish. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It can't just be something that somebody tells you you have to do. You have to want to do it. You have to have a reason for doing it beyond you were told that you've been there the longest, so you're the mentor. Uh, It has to come from within. 
I think some of the other key things too, because we see this and I see this with young veterinarians, they see a veterinarian, could be in academia or could be high up in the profession and they sort of idolize it. And they're like, oh, I want them to be as a mentor. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily the best case because you want somebody that's not going to intimidate you. Mm. You want somebody that can talk to you on a one-to-one basis because this is a partnership. So you should never feel that you're beneath them. Uh, and I think the key part, one of the two key parts I want to finish on is that the mentor you pick should reflect the kind of person you want to be. So they may have great skill sets. If they're a, a veterinarian who is short with staff, pulls little tenter tantrums, they might be the best at procedures, mm-hmm. but they're not good people. They're not a good person. Yeah, you may want to look for somebody else. They should be a model of how you want to lead your life. And I guess finally, you want that person who really, you know, the sums it up is the time and desire to invest in your future. That's what it comes down to. They they shouldn't have any selfish motives. They're really it's there to serve you. Absolutely. Yeah. They're there to serve you. And serve the profession as well. Yeah. And help the new associate or new person in their position really flourish and stay in the profession. But I think that's key. So let's talk about how to act as a mentor. So you have a nice young student who has come up to you and they're asking, all right, can you be my mentor and how can we do a good job at it? Mm -hmm. So we talk about the role, whether you're a coach, a sponsor, or a connector. Number one is you got to be available. Mm -hmm. And sometimes sometimes is better than none. So maybe if you're every time you're you're thinking, oh boy, I got to do 60 minutes at it every time, but oh, it's the busy time of the year. Well, maybe yeah. 15 minute meetings, maybe more 15 minutes. Or some people have said, you know, hey, it doesn't have to be in person. Maybe it's it's texting or it's a, a quick FaceTime or a, a Zoom call. It doesn't necessarily have to be a face-to-face meeting. There's other ways of doing it. And number one key is to be present. Don't be looking at your phone while you're talking to them. Don't be, oh boy, and I've been guilty of this, you know, like checking your email, checking what's on the screen, like close your laptop, turn Mm -hmm. your phone upside down. It's you and that person. And so maybe, you know, it's the distractions of the office are hard. So maybe you've got to say, let's meet for lunch. We're going to go somewhere neutral where can't be interrupted. Mm -hmm. Another key thing is to be objective. And I think just, it should be easy for doctors because we try to be objective when we do medicine. Uh, We're trying to get to the facts. And sometimes you're as a mentor, the mentee may see things that, you know, uh, they're young or they haven't phrased it well, that could be triggering. Mm-hmm. I think we step back and don't judge. I always look at it as that 24-hour rule. If you want to send off that scathing email, wait a day. <laughs> Next day, you'll sort of have some perspective. And I would suggest that. Anything to add to that? Oh, I think you've covered it pretty well. But I got one more. Okay, go. Okay. The fourth and the final one is put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. I know when I have screwed up. And so there's nothing nicer than when a young vet comes to you and they have screwed up. Not that it's nice that they screwed up, but it's (laughs) nice that they have the confidence to come to you and say, I didn't do that well. And honestly, I can think of so many cases where I have absolutely screwed Mm -hmm. up. And so you got to remember that not everybody has the confidence. Uh, you're doing a procedure that is almost secondhand to you. You can do it in your sleep. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it and you see the hands are shaking or they haven't caught on to the nuances of a difficult conversation with a client. 
But you know, that's where you as a steady hand who's non-judgmental and remembers what it's like opens the path for them to realize that it's okay to make mistakes and you're going to help them. Yeah. Vulnerability and empathy, a huge, huge, huge part of this, really underscoring the vulnerability part of it as the mentor have to be willing to say, yeah, I remember when I was in my second year out of vet school, X, Y, Z happened, and this is how I dealt with it. And let's figure out how to make this work for you. So I think that that's really important. And to just, like you said, at the beginning, I think the mentor really needs to make sure that they're driving or help helping to be engaged and making sure that you actually have the discussions. Like you said, no matter how it happens, it needs to be, I guess it's a mutual responsibility to make sure they happen, but the mentor really needs to make sure that mentee's not kind of letting things slide. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do one more and then we'll take a bit of a, a break. So as the mentee, what are the expectations, Katie? Yeah. So I think we've just talked about, you know, the flip side is you have to be willing to invest in the the partnership or the relationship as well. Be prepared, be prepared to have this be a two-way street. It's not just you like a baby bird waiting to be fed. You have to come with ideas. You have to come with what worked, what didn't work. Part of that is making sure you're respecting the mentor's time. If they're incredibly busy or just, you know, another professional, especially any professional in veterinary medicine right now is, is extremely busy. But just being prepared, having an open mind, being open to feedback. If you're in the same practice and the mentor maybe saw a situation that you were struggling in, just saying, okay, I've asked for their help and I'm just going to take whatever they say and not you know, not take it personally and withdraw, but really be open to that feedback. I mean, that's the whole point of the relationship. It's hard. I mean, it's it's difficult for any, any professional who's been at it for a long time. You know that feedback is crucial, but still sometimes the ego kind of creeps in and says, ooh, you should be offended or, you know, you should get your hackles up or get defensive. You have to be able to let that go and be vulnerable and listen. Yeah. And be willing to be open with a mentor about fears, about concerns, what is it that you're most worried about? Just being open and being receptive, being an active listener and being committed to growth as well. Just saying, okay, well, there's a point to this relationship and it's for me to get better uh, and for me to relate better with the team and just to be a grow into this role as a professional. So I think really understanding what the point of this relationship is, is something that's crucial for the mentee. One thing I'd like to add too, and this is because I I just was reminded of situations as a mentee comes up and then it's just like, as a mentor, you're like, and so what are we discussing today? And there's just this blank face. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's great uh, at the conclusion of a meeting, are there tasks, are there things, are there action items one or both of you have to do? If not, okay, well, maybe you're meeting every month or every two weeks, what have you. But I would say for the mentee to inform the mentor a couple of days in advance, hey, I see we're meeting on Monday afternoon. I would like to discuss X. Mm-hmm. That gives the mentor time to think on it, reflect on it, uh, as opposed to just responding in the moment. So I think you're going to get a better engaged mentor if the mentee is is more proactive with what they're seeking. Yeah, it's just like a goals meeting. It's pretty yeah. much, you know, along those same lines. It needs to be a two-way street for yeah. sure. Absolutely. So, hey, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about what um, mentorship looks like in a practice. Sounds good. Do you sense that there's something not quite right with your company's culture? 
Is your team functioning below its potential with formerly enthusiastic staff now doing the bare minimum? Do you wish you could get an honest report card on your practice's culture and the impression you are making as an owner or a manager? It can be difficult to take action when you don't know what's wrong. If we don't address issues and challenges, we risk losing even our most dedicated and loyal staff. We don't always have a reliable way to get honest feedback on how people feel about the company or even on our own performance as owners or managers. This is where the Oculus Employee Engagement Survey comes in. Employee engagement is defined as the degree to which employees are willing to go above and beyond to ensure their teammates and clients are taken care of, and it also measures the level of commitment that they have to your organization. Highly engaged workforces contribute positively to the bottom line in a number of ways, including higher productivity, fewer mistakes, and better client care, just to name a few. The Employee Engagement Survey itself is a series of 33 questions based on the key dimensions of employee engagement with areas for comments from staff. The survey itself is a series of 33 confidential questions based on the key dimensions of employee engagement with an area for comments from your staff. We also conduct optional one-on-one -on -one interviews with experienced Oculus professionals to gain more context and insight. Nothing specific is shared. Staff can rest assured that there's no feedback that they're going to share that will come back to haunt them in the future. We produce a final report with reasonable, actionable recommendations. And having conducted dozens of employee engagement surveys, we are the only company able to provide vet industry-specific benchmarking data so practices can see how they stack up against other vet practices worldwide. We found that after conducting an employee engagement survey, practices know exactly where they stand with their staff and are able to make transparent, meaningful changes that result in a more engaged workforce. Owners appreciate the insights into how their actions and the company culture are affecting their team. Some even conduct surveys on a regular basis to see how they've been progressing and to de detect any brewing issues before they become significant. To learn more about the Oculus Employee Engagement Survey Package, head over to our website, oculusinsights.ca, send us an email at info at oculusinsights.net, or reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Mention that you're a Hire the Smile listener to receive a special discount on your own employee engagement survey. Okay, we're back. And so we're talking about mentorship. We've talked about the expectations of the mentor, or the mentee, how to choose a mentor, what you need to be doing, what the value of this. So you're in practice, you have a practice. What does this relationship look like, Katie? Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, we've touched on it, I think. The mutual side of things. So it's mutual effort. We're making sure that we're coming to this with respect for each other, trust, courage, vulnerability. And just a willingness to communicate openly and to, to be able to take feedback, constructive feedback uh, and positive feedback. You know, some people aren't great at taking positive yeah. feedback either. So owning that feedback and sort of being open to whatever comes at you, I think is huge. One other thing I want to add to that, and then I just want to add more of a tactical approach to it too. But the other thing too, as a mentor, in terms of how it looks, as we talked about it earlier, is the candor and the vulnerability to say, you know what, I can't help in this area. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about medical procedures and how to handle it. And now we have a comfort level and things are shifting. And now you're talking about you have anxiety when you do things. Okay. A lot of us do. But I may not necessarily be the best person to talk about it. And so I think this is where you have to be the put yourself off the mentor pedestal and to say, you know, this is important. I don't know if I have the skill set to help you. 
maybe there's a coach, maybe there's another person uh, that I know could be a more appropriate. Let's get a solution together. Yeah. And that goes back to that sort of that role of the mentor as somebody who makes connections. Yeah, exactly. One of the things we do as a tip uh, if we have new veterinarians that come to our practice is we assign them to a senior vet. And so this is more of the coach. This is mm-hmm. not the connector. This is not the supporter. This is a coach. And it's, a, it's really from day one. And they meet on a weekly basis just to go over how are things going. But we have a checklist, mm-hmm. a clinical competency checklist of common procedures that we do in our vet practice. And so we really want to make sure that the veterinarian has the ability to demonstrate that they're comfortable with all of these procedures before we allow them to work independently on them. Just because, I mean, yes, they've come from an internship perhaps, and yes, they should have the skill set. Well, people learn things differently, different areas. We want to just see what they know. And they're often things we have learned and we've applied to our practice. So it's not very much a top down, this is how you do it. But we also spend time on how they interact with clients, how they interact with the staff. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's broad and we have a time limit. Like these are the things we expect you to know in the first three months, six months. Yeah. There are things you may not know for a year. But even let's say the the formal coaching mentorship period is over. Yeah, we still have the back burner. There's a couple of things that we need to work. Yeah, I like that so much. I like the idea of having some structure where there are things that go into crop up that aren't on the list, so to speak, but having that progressive, well-organized checklist of competencies, both medical and on the soft skills side of the practice sort of management side or client management side, I think that's, it's such a good idea. And then that can help you frame, what are we going to talk about next? What do we need to work on? It just helps move things along and really get to the idea that there's an end point to this at some point. Yeah. Let's just sort of shift a bit and just say you are somebody who enjoys being a mentor. Mm -hmm. And as in the veterinary profession, that's a lot of us because we like to give and and to help. And great mentors, they score high on on measures of empathy uh, towards others. They're caring, Mm -hmm. which makes it harder for some of them to draw boundaries or set limits. And so mentors can often develop, let's call it a vicarious distress from carrying the burdens, anxieties of the mentees. So we obviously we don't want to get there. It's tough enough being a veterinarian or a, mm-hmm. a registered vet technician or what have you, then to all of a sudden have this come on top of you. So a couple of suggestions for mentors on how to avoid burnout. Number one is not taking on too many mentees at the same time or have high maintenance mentees that require extra attention, uh, time. And those are the ones where you may have to share your mentee with other people of different skill sets. Mm-hmm. This was interesting. I was reading this article from HBR. Mentors from underrepresented groups are especially vulnerable, often because they feel an obligation to mentor fellow minority group mentees. Mm-hmm. And so on top of that, they contend with a cultural taxation, which is uniquely applied or placed upon minoritized employees to serve their organizations as a quote-unquote token minority member of too many committees. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh boy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's something to watch out. Then the others are the mentors who don't uh, or are not allowed to allocate time for mentorship. It's sort of like, hey, you're going to be the mentor for this 
new associate, for example, we have you scheduled for your eight hour day. So you're going to have to do your mentorship some other time. No, yeah. that should be an hour in the schedule for you and the other veterinarian to have that experience. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And just to butt in here a little bit, the importance of having leadership support for this relationship and for this process. Yeah. And also, I think we wouldn't want people to hear this and then like go and like say, hey, you're a mentor now and uh, good luck with that. They yeah. need to have support and some training on how to be a mentor, at least, you know, what is this supposed to look like and what competencies do you need to make this work? And finally, and again, as an old white guy who wouldn't know what it'd be to be a, a minority who has to be the minority on the token person, uh, it's the same thing with people that have significant caregiving obligations at home. Mm. And they highlight that women who mentor are more likely to feel the time pinch than men because they're also taking care of their own family, their children, just because the roles they have in society. And then, oh, on top of that, you need to then mentor this other person and add to everything else. It's like, oh, so. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of other, just thinking about along the same lines and pitfalls to avoid in this relationship is we need to be careful that we're not creating dependence. So you don't want the uh -huh. mentee to be, oh, I have to talk to my mentor. I can't make this decision on my own. You know, it's more of a, yeah, it's a tactical, how do we deal with this? But also you need to, we need to make sure that the mentee is building the confidence and getting the tools that they need to become self-sufficient in the end. Yeah, that's a good one. Another one that I haven't really thought about before was as the mentor too, you have to be careful to not create the mentee in your image. So you don't want them to be exactly like you. You need them to figure out their own way and how they want to do things. I mean, obviously within the boundaries of protocols or procedure, you know, what's legal, uh, but they're going to have their own way of doing things. Uh, and I think there could be something that, you know, they learn from you, like you said off the top that you still think about, you know, however many decades later, but you're not exactly the same as your mentor and, and you shouldn't be. So you kind of have to, again, on the mentor side, put your ego aside a little bit and be like, okay, well, this works for me. What I do works for me, but I recognize that this doesn't work for somebody else because they've had a totally different experience than I have up to this point. Yeah, good one. I like that. So finally, what happens if this relationship just isn't working? Is it me? Is it you? <laughs> uh so, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we've talked before is that this relationship is built on candor and we've talked about the mentor being candid. Well, the mentee can also be candid and mm -hmm. you need to know and let the mentor that, hey, this isn't working out either. I'm not getting the time commitment for whatever reasons. You know what? We're adults. We're putting on our adult pants and I think it's, this is what we need to do. You thank them for the help. Uh, you're not burning bridges at all, but... It's kind of like when a relationship between a couple is petering out. If we're being honest with each other, nobody should be surprised when somebody comes and said, yeah, it's not working for me. Mm -hmm. And so as a mentee, when you go to your mentor and you say, hey, this isn't working out, they should be able to say, you know what? I was wondering, I wasn't sure if I was overreading the situation or what have you. Yeah, that's fine. I want to make sure you as a mentee are getting the support. And if I can't do it, then I shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Most of the times, as we said, it's just that it falls off naturally. And what was a once a month becomes a once every two months. But again, we, we just sort of have to just come out and just say, you know what? I think I'm good now. Or I'm, there's other things I'm looking for. I'm going to explore. But as a mentor, you, you know, don't be jealous. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't, 
exactly. Be happy that they have gotten to a level where you've fulfilled what their the initial plan was mm-hmm. and you're able to move on. And so that's good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great. I love it. Great discussion. I'm surprised it's taking us so long to get to mentorship. It's such a critical part. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, hey, when you come to human relationships and human resources, uh, we'll be discovering things to talk about forever. It's true. Katie, we have a listener question. So every week or every podcast, we ask anybody if you have a question related to a situation in your own practice or it just in general, please send it to us, obviously related to human resources. If you sent me an accounting question, yeah, I could no. take a run at it, but yeah, it's probably not going to be that great. So <laughs> yeah, just send it to info at oculusinsights.net or any of our social platforms. And on our website, there is a link associated with the podcast. So Katie, what's the question? I like this one. And I feel like you and I can both have input into this guy. So, All right. so with the current high rate of inflation, my employees, particularly the non-DVM staff, are hinting at or blatantly stating that they feel they should receive wage increases to help them cope. My challenge is that we as a practice are also feeling the pinch. We're paying more for nearly everything, and there's only so many times we can raise fees in a year without risking losing clients. What can I do? I understand where the employers are coming from. However, there isn't room in the budget to give everyone an unplanned 8 to 10% raise, which is the current rate of inflation. I got nothing to contribute to that. I want- <laughs> <laughs> you haven't heard these questions in your own no, practice? <laughs> never. Oh, boy. I think, oh, it's, I, I, there's no perfect answer to this whatsoever. I think there's some strategies and tactics that you can try starting with, and you and I are a huge proponent of transparency with our employees as leadership and as management. So I think acknowledging the situation and being transparent about the position the practice is also in, it's not like you have to get into specifics, you know, to the cent or anything like that, but at least in doing employee engagement surveys with practices and talking to two employees of practices, they're like, we just, nobody ever talks to us about anything. We just have rumors and we get upset and, and, uh, we don't know what the situation of the practice is. So I think making sure that you're as upfront as you can be about your position is really important. So they understand that you're in this too. This is a challenge for you as well. Oh, you know, we went through something like this a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. and I had a lot of sleepless nights about it because Mm -hmm. I, I truly feel the pain. I mean, we were looking at price of groceries, gas, and we have people that work for us on an hourly wage. This really hits. It really does. And it hits the veterinarians. I mean, yeah, they're at a higher wage, but it hits all of us, including the business. What we did is we sort of looked at for our own practices, like, okay, you know, there's certain people that we had made a budget for the year, but the second half of the year, there's certain people are going to go back to school or we're not going to fill a role that we thought we were going to. And I looked at it and it's like, what are the savings going to be? Mm-hmm. And frankly, we just said, all right, half the savings are going to go to staff. And what we decided to do was to give the hourly staff a percentage wage, not the 8%. And we couldn't. We just, yeah. like, we, as a business, we couldn't, but we, we had to do something. And we, we had a presentation. We met with the group together and I just said, okay, here's where we were as a budget. But because of rising costs and some, you know, I think with inflation, with uncertainty, Omicron earlier in the year, the war in Ukraine, I mean, there's so many external factors. Our revenue wasn't at the level that we had budgeted at. And I was very frank, is like our profitability is down X 
amount of dollars Mm -hmm. or so much percent for them to realize like this is hitting us too. We're all in this. But and I just said, but we have found ways to make some savings. And it's important that we demonstrate that we care about you. So we're going to give a raise. And so we gave small percentage raise to all the hourly staff. And for uh, the salaried, including the veterinarians, we gave a very small bonus. And I was worried because I'm like, oh, and I think everybody got it mm-hmm. and they appreciated that it's something. And when they saw that we as a business are being impacted too, and they saw the amount that we were impacted, I think it minimized anybody saying, well, oh, they're making all this money. I'm not, well, they could have done more when they realized that, mm-hmm. you know what? Yeah, I would love to have done more. We can't. If we want to have a viable business, it keeps us all employed. Absolutely. And I think you are in a somewhat unique position in that you are universally pretty transparent with the staff about, you know, you have a yearly town hall meeting where you talk about how the practice did the previous year, quite open about profitability and things like that. So people sort of expect that from you. If it sort of had sprung up out of nowhere, having that meeting, people might have been think, oh, well, they're just trying to justify Mike's new Maserati that he's buying. (laughs) profits from equine vet practice. But you know, it's amazing. You go on to some of these Reddit forums on anti-work or something like that. Yeah. And, and yeah some gosh. people relay stuff. Yeah. The boss showed up with a brand new Porsche. Yeah. And and gave us like a paltry raise. And it's like, you ugh. read the room. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm laughing about it, but it's not a, a funny thing. I don't mean to make light of it, but it's, uh, it's, sort of have to think about how, what you're presenting to your employees and thinking about how sharing something that you might think of as really, you know, confidential or I don't want them to know or whatever can actually benefit you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I think when, in any situation, when we're, when, when everybody thinks we're in this together and Mm -hmm. you demonstrate that we're in this together, you're going to get buy-in. Yeah. So. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Well, I hope that helped. Anyway, thank you very much. Please send your questions to Oculus Insights uh, if you have anything that we can address at the future podcast. But till the next time, keep safe. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.